Sammy. And this is the Holistic Heart Podcast, the place for all things therapy and mental health. We know navigating the human experience can be as challenging as it is beautiful. So we wanted to create a space where we can dive deep into self-exploration, normalize the struggle, and hold space for hard topics and conversations. We are so excited to have you join us on this journey. Hello and welcome to the Holistic Heart Podcast. I'm Sammy and I'm here with my lovely co-host Kristen and we have a special guest again today. We have our lovely clinician Erica here um, and she is going to explore a I think very prevalent topic right now in popular culture. I know I see this come up on social media a lot and talking to a lot of clients about this kind of experience too. Um, and that is ADHD. So Erica has specific experience working with this presentation as well as personal experience as well, as well, as well, as well. So <laughs> we thought that it would be a really great kind of topic to explore today. Erica, do you want to take some time just to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, kind of maybe what brought you to this topic specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So super excited to be here. Thank you so much. Um, and yes, uh, what brought me to this topic specifically? I certainly had uh, some clients that were presenting with ADHD, like came to me with that diagnosis. Um, and also uh, through my process through grad school, uh, recognized that, oh, in fact, it is me that has ADHD too. <laughs> um, only about a year, year and a half ago did I finally get my diagnosis that was kind of like ADHD curious uh, for a little bit of time before that. Um, and so it was really eye-opening and um, my children have ADHD, my partner has ADHD, his child has ADHD, my parents have ADHD my siblings have ADHD. Uh, so some of that I found out before, some of it after. So it's just kind of swimming in it. And so a lot of interesting perspectives, I think, um, and like life experience with it. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that answers your question. It does. <laughs> And I think Erica, you bring a really good like point. I love the way you said like ADHD curious. I think a lot of people might relate to that of just like I think there's so mm -hmm. much information out there about ADHD now which is wonderful and that we're like sort of hearing about more nuanced ways that it can show, like more is being understood um more nuanced ways that it can show up and so I feel like um mm -hmm. you know for some people ADHD curious might be where they're at with it it's like mm -hmm. oh I'm hearing all the I'm hearing about this a lot I'm hearing different ways that it can present and like oh, is this me? Like, am I, you know, am I um, experiencing this? Is this like part of that diagnosis? Or is this just like something like a quirk about me? Because um, I feel like a lot of my experience has been like a lot of people who do ultimately get diagnosed with ADHD thought like, oh, this was just like, I had a quirky personality or I had like certain, you know, things that were just like unique to me. And they were like, I figured out how to work with them and it was fine or not fine, but like, I just managed it. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm just interested in that, like curiosity and maybe um, 
what that was like for you to experience that ADHD curious and maybe where you went with it and how you learned more. Yes. So I'm literally jotting down um, so I can answer all of the <laughs> answers or the questions that you asked, because my brain will tack on to one question that you just asked and drive that into the ground without addressing the others. So, um, yeah, quirky personality. Absolutely. I uh, thought that all of this ADHD symptomology was like me, my personality, and yet um, come to find out that a lot of ADHDers have uh, sort of similar experiences. Um, some, of course, do not. It presents in different people differently, of course. Um, and there's like, part of me when I found out, uh, like, yes, this is, you know, this, this is you, this is something that you've got, uh, that you're working with was like relief, like, okay, this explains a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, made a lot of things made sense as I did some more research, uh, like was able to find out more about myself, um, my partner, my children, how to like work with it all. And just, you know, every day is a new learning. So there was like a relief and like a hope and optimism and, uh, like an empowerment to go forward um and then also like a little bit of sadness or grief around oh whoa I thought this was like me um and also it part of it was not something that I necessarily had like control over or was like me me but it was a bit more of just like this is how my brain works um and is maybe a super common experience but is me different than how my brain works is a good question to like play around with too. Like just because this is a common thing that people experience doesn't mean that it's just not you either. So, so yeah, it's definitely super nuanced. Mm. Um, somebody just said, yeah. So I wouldn't want to pause just in case there was there's something that somebody wanted to say. <laughs> oh, no, I was really glad that you were touching on that because I think and this, I guess, can be the case with any diagnosis, really. But specifically, when you talk about like, oh, it wasn't just my like my personality or these characteristics that are me. It's this diagnosis. And I think it's so important that like it's not happening. Something like it's not happening to you kind of thing. It's something that is a part of you, um, but that it doesn't take away from you as a unique individual. Yeah sometimes it can feel like who's in charge here yeah. <laughs> like I can have these like intentions um and then they don't get sort of followed through and it feels like um why not because part of me really would like to get this thing done or accomplish this task or get up off the couch or like definitely earlier today was like a little bit of ADHD paralysis which is not a clinical term just kind of like a colloquial term ADHD or sometimes say it's like you kind of get stuck somewhere especially in a transition right so I was just like stuck in my car and needed to transition into my workspace, but did have some wiggle room and I was just stuck. And there was a part of me that's, hey, you should probably get in. You could do some ADHD research before you start with your clients. Uh, but there's another part of me that's like, nope, I'm feeling a little anxious and nervous today. So I am just gonna like sit here, listen to some music or scroll on social media. So it can be like, oh my goodness, I really would like to be doing the thing that like maybe the logical part of me wants to do. Uh, but then there's another part of me that uh, is choosing something else. And that one sometimes is the boss more often than not. And so that's the like ADHD brain um, that I like to say, okay, all right. 
you're in charge at this moment. Um, sometimes I can wrangle and get in charge some parts of me, but then sometimes the other part is in charge and uh, just kind of have to let it, let it be until it wants to not be in charge anymore, I guess. I feel like you're starting are going to talk about like some symptomology, like just how that experience is for you. Um, And I'm wondering both from your own subjective experience and from working with clients and your background as a clinician, what, what are some of the traits or characteristics that are associated with ADHD? Yeah. So ADHD, and of course, um, now it's called ADHD um, versus before it was like ADD versus ADHD. And then before that, there are different iterations of it, but it's all ADHD, right? Um, At this current moment, which uh, we could have a whole side conversation around how ADHD is a little bit of a misnomer, but we'll leave that there for now. So there are different presentations of it. There's the inattentive type, uh, there's the hyperactive type, and then there's the combined type. So that person with the combined type would um, show symptoms of both the inattentive and the hyperactive. Um, So generally, this is like executive functioning troubles. which is a whole interesting topic around like, ooh, do I have, is this me? Um, Because we all can have some challenges with executive functioning. Um, It is like the degree to which this impairs and impacts one's life. Um, So that's why, um, you know, the whole phrase sometimes comes up around like everyone's a little ADHD, you know, quote unquote. Um, So yeah, everyone can have, you know, some challenges with executive dysfunction, but again, the degree to which impacts one's life is there um so some challenges one can have is around like controlling yourself um being able to monitor yourself um being able uh, to emotionally regulate uh planning and time management uh working memory task initiation organization um things like that so people could um be really hyperactive both like internally or externally uh, be fidgeting a lot moving a lot uh, working a lot um, <laughs> being really busy uh, they could interrupt people uh, they could forget things really easily they could space out um, they could not be able to recall memory when you ask them something which is something I was really nervous about today um, <laughs> that I told Kristen about <laughs> um, Let's see. Oh, um, big reactions to things like emotional reactions. Um, Again, this is not like a clinical term yet, but this whole like a rejection sensitive or sensitivity dysphoria piece where um, we can perceive rejection in like a really big way, Um, some sort of abandonment or someone like didn't like something that you said or did or how you showed up Um, kind of similar concept to like a like the borderline personality disorder like high levels of emotional reactivity sort of criteria um that sort of thing like like a big emotional reactivity that is not matched to the situation um so it can even feel like physically painful for that and cause some interesting behavior to happen um yeah maybe it can kind of even make you not a great friend sometimes um, because you might not feel like you're able to keep up with the world around you uh, with friendships with like remembering someone's birthday or um, like being attentive during a conversation with them so it can 
be really hard just to function in life, to get where you need to get to, to make that doctor's appointment, to be on time, to follow through on a task, to maintain relationships, to take care of your children. Just like daily life tasks can be absolutely exhausting. Um, so sometimes anxiety and depression show up um, as friends and buddies. Uh, because it's really hard to get through life with um, impairments on like adulting, you know, when we're kids, oftentimes our adults that are overseeing us are tasked with the responsibility of keeping us on top of some of these things. Um, but, you know, not always are they able to do that and do do that. Um, and also, at some point, we need to take over some of these things for ourselves. And if we've not developed or learned how to do that, uh, then it becomes really difficult. Mm -hmm. yeah, but absolutely. some beautiful thoughts around like neuroplasticity and that it's not like a hard end. Like we can develop into these things. Yeah. Absolutely. I so appreciate everything that you just shared. I think it, it speaks to the spectrum kind of, of this experience. And also what you said earlier, because to me, this sort of circles back to like the prevalence of this on social media that I was talking about too, where it's like, everything that you just said, there's bits and pieces where I'm like, oh yeah, like, oh, I resonate with that. I resonate with that. And I think as you're scrolling through TikTok or Instagram, you can see that and be like, oh my gosh. And, you know, we can internalize and be like, is that, is this, you know, is this something that is a part of my experience? And the piece that you mentioned about how it's like the degree to which it's impairing your functioning on a daily basis is like that there's a differentiating factor here because so many of the things that you described can be like human experiences, but also that it's a different degree. And I can see that in some ways that might be like, there's like validation in that and maybe invalidation when you're looking at the prevalence of it and seeing so many people being like, that must be me kind of thing. So I'm curious about your take on it um, as someone with ADHD and, and observing that, what your experience is like, both from that like personal experience, but also holding clinical space for your clients as well. Yeah, so it can be, yeah, challenging to sort of like refine or sort of like ferret out, like, is this just kind of like executive function stuff that we all can kind of trip up on? Or is this really impactful, right? And so generally for um, like the criteria for diagnosis is that it has to show up in several different arenas in your life. Um, so not like, just at school or just at home or just in relationships it's like it at least for children it has to show up in those two different ones or like sports team or something that you're a part of it has to show up in several different areas to make sure that it's not just a, a situational thing a situational situation mm -hmm. um <laughs> and then like how many areas of these executive function things are impacted? Um, and again, like the degree to which they are impacted. And like oftentimes people are also developing like the anxiety or depression, maybe not at a super like actual clinical level, um, but oftentimes those things are present too, which might be helpful indicators that um, the ADHD is impacting, especially if the person does not yet have a diagnosis because they're thinking like, wow, I know you guys swear on this. So I'm going to say you're, I'm like a fuck up. I'm a horrible person. I'm dropping the ball, like self-esteem stuff. Like I'm not um, meeting up with my peers. Everyone, like, I feel like 
I've got like the capabilities. I'm like creative. I've, you know, got the interest and the like motivation. I just can't get it to happen. I can't do it. Um, Like even for my, my personal experience, like, like I feel like I don't have any friends. I don't go out and hang out and do things because just like going to work, taking care of my children, getting my household tasks done. Oof. I, that's it. I am like taken out for the whole day um, and trying to do those things well, whatever that means, right? Sure. Like a satisfactory to me where I feel uh, proud of what I've done. And like, that's it. That's it. Done. No other task can get added. Even if someone, a friend that I absolutely love, like messages me like, hey, can we hang out? I experience anxiety around that because can I honor that commitment? Can I fit that in somewhere? Like, is this person like, what if I have to back out because something happens and I'm feeling, are they going to like not want to hang out with me? If I back out, am I going to hurt their feelings? So sometimes I don't even say yes, just so I don't get to that place. Um, mm. So like, yeah, like what are their relationships like also? Um, do Are they able to keep friends? Do they feel like they have a depth of connection with friendships? Um, how fulfilled do they feel in their lives? Um, so hopefully some of that, is an answer to your question around like how, yeah, how deeply does it have to impact someone um, in order to be like clinical? And then of course, in order to get a diagnosis, right? Um, generally it's a neuropsych evaluation that has to get done for you to get the stamp of approval that this is like for you. And that's like a three hour, in-person evaluation that they do and they are checking some of these executive functioning skills like your working memory um visual spatial memory um if you can answer some fun questions that they ask you they read you a story generally and then later on you have to give some details back on it and uh that one was not good for me personally (laughs) Uh, but there are ways that that they have tests and they measure some of these things for you so there's another way too if you're curious uh, you could get that done there is of course um, barriers to that around uh, financial barriers will your insurance company even pay for it Uh, so you can't just go get one and then uh, the time it takes to get that done I think right now there's probably at least a six month wait time in order to get a neuropsych eval so there's a limiting factor in the diagnosis yeah Uh, and then proving to somebody that you've got this diagnosis is a whole other side conversation too but I see Kristen's hands up so maybe we can get back to that piece yeah yeah I think you're bringing up such important points and I have like two different directions that I want to go in but I think I'm going to stay with the neuropsych uh thread right now and just say like I think that brings up another question or uh, curiosity around like how important is it to get an official diagnosis, right? There's a lot of conversation around if I recognize myself and my lived experience as neurodivergent, do I really need someone else to externally validate that for me? Um, And the answer is no, like you don't need, right? Like, but what are the, in what instances can it be helpful and what instances can it not be required, right? Like it's a, it's a conversation that I think is currently happening. I think there's like right or wrong answers here. I'm just sort of throwing them out there of like, I think this is a current conversation of like, I know my experience and is it enough for me 
to know my experience. Uh, obviously, a diagnosis gives you access to medication if that's an avenue that you want to explore that you know, your own lived experience wouldn't give you direct access to without. Um, and so that's like potentially a, a defining factor for people if they're looking for that love, that type of support. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to bring up that that's a conversation I feel like I'm witnessing on social media in a lot of um, literature on ADHD, um, just that this conversation of like, how important is it and what creates the validity, you know, is that something you can give yourself? Um, which I would say yes. Right. And like, what does that look like and what does it mean? So I just wanted to like point that out or bring it up because I think it's relevant right now around this topic. Yeah. I have several things to say back to that one. Um, I would agree with you around like, it feels icky to like have to prove to someone that may or may not even have a lived experience with this particular diagnosis um, that you have this particular diagnosis or any diagnosis potentially. Um, and as you were saying, it would give you, getting a diagnosis formally officially would give you access to medication, especially the like stimulant medication, most often um, Unless you have like narcolepsy, uh, you might not get a stimulant uh, medication prescription. There are some medications um, that you might not need a diagnosis for, especially if you've got like anxiety or depression going on. Like, for example, Wellbutrin is often used for anxiety, depression, and off-label for ADHD. So sometimes a prescriber can give you that without a full um, diagnosis. However, um, medication, yes. Also for accommodations, uh, getting a diagnosis could be helpful for, uh, for like a 504 plan, uh, if for schools or even um, at work, if, this, if you would like to broach that with your workplace, you could get some accommodations um, put in place. They would likely be part of your neuropsych eval, especially if you ask for them, um, where your evaluator would give you a list of things that they think could be supportive helpful for you in the setting that you're um, looking for accommodations in again usually school or work um, and so that's again like a whole nother side topic that I'm not going to dive into specifics of but yes good reasons for the neuropsyche eval and then also for that own like okay yeah you know like validation um external validation of it and of course this slippery slope with external versus internal validation around like which one is more or less important but uh if someone says yes you definitely have this and it confirms that can you know feel helpful at times uh, for sure so i know for me that was my experience like I was pretty sure uh the math checked out uh but it was really like okay yeah okay, like, I'm not just uh, making this up, kind of like Sammy was saying earlier around, like, we were talking about, like, oh, everybody can have a little executive dysfunction, like, maybe, like, am I making this up? Am I faking it? Am I, like, trying to find some sort of excuse for this, you know, <laughs> for the ways I'm showing up? Uh, so it was, like, helpful for me to be like, no, this actually, this actually is a thing that I'm navigating. Uh, so it, it felt like, all right, okay, to be able to have a little bit more compassion for myself. Like it, it opened up that avenue for me to learn myself a little bit more. What um, I hear in that too is it's like, yeah. like choice piece. Like I'm not necessarily choosing this, but I can, once I have this knowledge, I can help to support myself and also maybe 
open up my awareness to more avenues of support that I wasn't aware of before. Yeah. 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 That choice piece for sure. Like before I had my diagnosis, I would beat myself up a lot. Like, why am I just sitting here? Oh my God. Like, what did I just do? You know, like questioning myself and like wondering why, why I'm making this choice, right? You said to just be here. And then now I'm like, oh, it's not actually a choice. It's just my other brain is online right now and I have to jazz it up or do something. It's uh, Sometimes uh, you're at like the developmental level of a, like a toddler, like for sure, for, for sure, for sure. So you're like, all right, what is my toddler self want right now? Like, oh, it needs to like reward itself with a little treat when I get in there or <laughs> just, just, yeah, thinking of yourself maybe with that kind of mind. So yeah, it was really helpful with that piece of like, oh, all right, this is how I'm showing up. And then it gives me uh, a different way to approach myself to maybe like be showing up in the way that I'm, I'm wanting to more than the way that I'm just like default on because I don't know how to not. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I know where like, I feel like this is such a rich conversation. We're already like 25 minutes in, which I can't believe and it's going by so fast. And I like, I'm thinking of two things that are in my brain right now. So maybe I'll say them both and see which, which lane it makes more sense to or direction. It makes more sense to go in, but I'm thinking of one, the prevalence of um, ADHD on social media specifically, and like how that's got kind of mixed reviews on like, is it helpful for people to learn through social media about mental health diagnoses and ADHD in particular? Um, I tend to think it can be incredibly helpful, but I know that's a conversation that's also happening around like how helpful is it to and navigating that um, like Erica, you and Sammy have both spoken to like how much of this is human experience and am I, you know, pathologizing something that is like, you know, inherent, mm -hmm. you know, just like a very natural um, or is there something more to look into? And I think it's so invitational. So that's one Um direction I'm thinking of. And then the other is I realized that there's, I'm observing anyway, and absolutely correct me if you guys have observed something different, but I think there's a trend or like um, a prevalence right now of adult women being diagnosed with some type of neurodivergence later in life, uh, like in their thirties or early forties, um, where it's just now starting to get an awareness of like, oh, this is not you know, like this, like this is a neurodivergence for this person. This is not, you know, like um, just like we said before, part of their personality or or something that they have like socially learned to do um, or been conditioned around. But that I just think it's an interesting talking point of like, oh, this is coming up, and I wonder what what those contributing factors could be. So those are the two different conversations that are competing in my mind. I don't know if you guys feel drawn to one over the other. Yeah, I I like both of them, um, but the the women one I think more to speak to maybe to that one at the moment. Um, so I'm gonna go with that one. Um, so yes, <laughs> generally the statistic right now is that if uh, someone who is assigned female at birth um, got their diagnosis didn't get their diagnosis before they were like 12 uh it comes to get them when they're 30 or 40 generally when they're getting their child evaluated for adhd and they're like oh huh looking at the symptom list hmm, 
maybe, just maybe this might be me. So that's the other sort of stop gate of, of when people can find out. Um, it can exacerbate, ADHD can exacerbate during a hormonal time. So just anytime during the cycle. Also, um, when you start your menstrual cycle, when you are pregnant um, or after birth, and then also during menopause too. So those are some other like stopgate times where things can exacerbate things, hormones um, for that. So generally, um, if it's not caught, maybe women are given like a mood disorder diagnosis and are on like depression medication and it's just like not working because it's like maybe not treating like the main reason. Um, and oftentimes, again, this is the literature speaks in binary. So I'm speaking to the way that the literature is speaking, but females more often have um, the inattentive type which is a bit more internalized, uh, like symptomology, criterialized. So it's really easy to see, generally easier to see a hyperactive child bouncing all over the place, being loud, interrupting, intruding. That's like really visible, um, but kind of like internal stuff is not as visible. And even um, again, females are kind of a bit more socially conditioned to like behave, be quiet, um, sort of follow the rules and uh, mask is like kind of the word that's used a lot easier um, or they choose to mask, I guess. And their symptoms are easier to mask um, and compensate for than uh, the hyperactive stuff. So I think it kind of goes that way where it's like easier to not be seen by, by people that would be evaluating it. And again, the evaluation criteria is that it has to show up in multiple places. So if you don't get a like check from your teacher that, yeah, you show up here like this and it's like, oh, all right, they don't have it. Um, yeah. But you might, but you might be so shut down or anxious, nervous, um, not want to like cause a scene or have low self-esteem anyway and not, you know, just keep so, so small that you don't show it to keep yourself safe. So then you're not meeting criteria for it in that area. So then, oh, right? It just comes, it comes that. Um, there is a little bit of hope. So that's why uh, there is a prevalence of that. And also we are getting some new diagnostic criteria for adults with ADHD because the diagnostic criteria and the testing right now is really slanted towards how it presents in um, male, like young males. And now we're getting some like criteria around a little bit more of the inattentive stuff getting pulled into the testing and also getting new criteria for how it can look in adults. So that is really promising because um, that's why when I was, you know, reading the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, um, it's hard to like identify what some of those like criteria are like in real life and so um, and then again how that could show up as an adult so it, I'm excited about that because I think that'll help clarify Sammy that question that you had about like how to know if, if this is you or not like Absolutely. it just gets even more specific yeah yeah definitely and I think you're like bringing it full circle for me a little bit Erica because I think that the prevalence of this information on social media is part of how we're starting to realize, 
oh, I do experience that internally. I just don't show it or I don't, you know, mm. act on it. And now someone's talking yeah. about it in a way that's making me curious about, is this actually more going on for me? Is this something other people also experience? And that's like leading to a bigger conversation. So I think that's a, one of the really big benefits of, of like the prevalence of the conversation that everyone's having right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like as a clinician, my understanding of the diagnosis has shifted, just like you're talking about the literal, the diagnostic criteria, like this is, wasn't that that long ago that I was trained, but it's very different. And so being able to recognize, and I think that can be um, the beauty of social media is that it's not just for, um, for us to be able to scroll through and learn, but it's also actually really making powerful shifts that are like, can be really life-changing shifts for individuals. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sorry. You mentioned before we started recording, like that you both had this like invitation to like, oh, is this happening for me? And then did more research and digging to like really check the nuance of the presentation. And I think that's such a powerful combination of effects, right? It's like uh, both being uh, exposed to the information to be able to have that curiosity and the inclination to dig deeper and understand. And then combining that with, you know, really checking and learning more um, and figuring out like, does, you know, does this apply to me? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of how I took that. I learned that, oh, wait, actually, I think this is me because I had seen it on social media, how it presents, how it could present um, in adults and especially in female adults. And so having the like firsthand experience be kind of shared and and out there that's what I started to identify with and then like you're saying kind of doing some literature review going back to the DSM doing a little bit more uh, digging in with like how it shows up in adults like clinical research stuff wise and then going and getting the diagnosis um, myself and again as all my family members started to get their diagnoses too it all just kind of confirmed. <laughs> um, so yeah, balancing the, you know, firsthand personal experience, which is very valuable. And with the like the science, the measurability, um, and one is not more valuable than the other, um, but both the power combined um, is great. <laughs> well, and something that I've noticed, like two themes, both for you as like as a clinician, but also as someone with ADHD, there's this like self-compassion. And I've noticed you say the word balance a lot of times. So it's like creating this balance of like, okay, like I'm understanding myself, but I can also hold compassion for myself of like, I'm not necessarily just choosing to just sit here and not do anything. Like, A, sometimes we just got to meet ourselves where we are and allow that to be what it is, but you can hold that compassion for yourself. There's more of like an understanding of who you are just as a human being and all of the incredible elements of you. Mm. yeah like it's an explanation not an excuse you know sort of thing like to not just be like oh then I'll just sit here all day and never do anything like there's an element of needing to still hold self-accountable because like notes have to get done and you need to do some relationship repair with people if you've just not shown up but there are consequences out there in the world um and so there are some ways in which we need to support ourselves um, and also some ways to just be like, yep, that's it. Compassion. That's how I, who I am. Uh, yeah. 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 And that when you're offering yourself those, like that accountability invitation, you're also not like beating yourself up for it at the same time. It's like, okay, I recognize yeah. this is like 
hard for me. And also maybe I don't want the adverse consequences of not doing it beyond this point. So I'm going to try to like, you know, get there, but I don't need to like make myself wrong or bad or terrible or like feel like I'm lacking somehow that this is a challenge for me. Um, yeah. So this has been such a lovely conversation. I feel like we could talk a lot more and maybe we will. That would be wonderful. But Thank you so much, Erica, for joining us today. Is there anything I feel like I have to ask you? Is there anything that we didn't get to that feels really important that you really wanted to say that's on your heart? And if not, we'll just wrap it here. Yeah, no, I think this was a really good chat. I appreciated it. Um, maybe just that like Attitude Magazine is a really great resource uh, if people are curious. So just maybe that. Thank you so much. I feel like I've learned so much in this conversation and um, I'm glad to be able to share this and you as a resource for our listeners. Yeah, thank, thank you, Erica. Thank you. All right, well, I'll talk to you all in our next episode. Bye. Bye. Oh, hey, one more thing. Did you know that May is Mental Health Month? Well, this May, the Holistic Heart team is rallying to support increased access to mental health services by participating in the Mental Health Matters Walk that's taking place on May 13th. We're gonna be raising funds for therapy services. Find out more info about the walk at myevent.com backslash mental health matters walk 2023, or learn more about the new nonprofit Heart to Heart Behind the Cause at www.hearttoheartri.org.